to Five Blossom Radio with your host, Denise Richard. Five Blossom Empowerment is based on an unusual model for growth, combining elements of the arts, health, and spirituality. Now, here is Denise Richard. Hello. Welcome to Five Blossom Radio with Denise Richard. So, uh, hello to my listeners. Uh, we have a great topic for you today. And uh, our topic is Earth Stewardship and Bird Observation. We welcome here today bird biologist Sarah Pierce Myrink from the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory. So in this podcast, what we're going to highlight is the relationship of stewardship or earth stewardship and the delicate world of birds. So I'm welcoming Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Please um, join us and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where this all started for you. Uh, Hi, Denise. Thanks for having me today. Uh, For me, my interest in birds started at a very young age. Um, I have very fond memories of going camping with my family. And first thing in the morning when you wake up in the tent, you hear chickadees already calling outside waiting to greet you. Um, I also spent a lot of time growing up at a local conservation area where some of the birds were so used to people that you can actually feed them right out of your hand. So at age Three, four, and five, I was already feeding birds from my hand. So I developed a really a strong connection with birds. I became very passionate about them. Um, and obviously, this led to where my career has taken me um, as being an ornithologist or a bird researcher. Oh, and ornithologist, that's a big word. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and so I've been working with birds uh, pretty much my entire career for the last 10 plus years. Um, and currently, I am now the head biologist at the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory. So, so tell me a bit about um, what does a bird biologist do? Um, well, a bird biologist can do many different things depending on what your research is. Um, at the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory, or affectionately called BBO, uh, we are a long-term monitoring station where we're banding and Banding the birds, so putting a bracelet around their leg with a nine-digit serial number. We take a whole bunch of measurements and then release the birds back into the wild with the hope that they get captured somewhere else. And then we learn more about their movements and migration routes and the health of the birds over the course of their lifetime. So we're looking at the long-term population trends of our wild bird species. And at the BBO, we've been doing this for 35 years. We are the uh, oldest observatory in the province of Alberta, second oldest in Canada. Wow. So why don't you tell us now a little bit about the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory? What, like, how... Tell me, tell me, what does that look like? Um, well, to get to the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory, you have to uh, spend a 20-minute walk going through the woods, uh, going by some beautiful wetlands, to then come into this little clearing where there is this uh, research station. It looks like a little red shed in the middle of nowhere. And that's where we're conducting our work. And it's off the grid. It's run off of solar, and we carry in our own drinking water. It's There's birds all around you. It's a really quiet, beautiful space. Uh, we're open to the public, so people can come and visit us anytime they want. They can join us in the springtime when our birds are passing through, and they're beautiful breeding plumages, especially during our big uh big birding breakfast where we have a big breakfast for people to come out and then they get to actually watch being bird 
birds being banded in the hand in person. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, um, when our birds are leaving, not only is it our songbirds that are migrating, but also our owls. And so we have our big steaks and sawwets event where the public comes out for a steak dinner and then they get to actually watch us uh, band our northern sawwet owls, which is a very small species of owl found here in North America. And there's a lot of interest in that. A lot of people love to come out and see owls and we're always happy to host visitors. Wow, that sounds like a very special time to be able to be that close to the uh, to these wild birds, or all birds are wild in general but around us. But can you tell me a little bit about um, the effects of what we're dealing with here? We're looking at uh, a topic uh, called Earth Stewardship. Can you tell me, in your words, uh, what, what does that mean for you? Um, stewardship means taking care of, of our world because as we humans continue to grow and expand it's often at the negative impact of our natural world and it's our responsibility as we continue to thrive to take care of the environment take care of our animals um, because they're not able to do it themselves as we continue to take away where they're able to reside so we really need to have people learn the value of our natural worlds and ecosystems, the importance of them, and then try our best to protect them and protect the animals that we share our world with. Thank you. I think that the the promise here is that if we put a little bit more um, care and loving care towards the uh, the natural world, especially the wildlife, especially the birds, because I, my my sense is that birds are so delicate and so um, they're the first really to let us know that something's really not okay, isn't it? It's like they're that delicate in our in our ecosystem. And to be able to consider um, that watching over them, even just observing them, is a form of stewardship. Taking care on how we relate to them is a form of stewardship. Uh, I'm really thanking you for, for joining us here today. Now, we have a a little challenge, a little big challenge, which we call climate change, that I'd love for you to tell us a little bit in your world, in, in your word, what does that mean? Like, wh- how would you ex- share that with us? Yeah, uh, in a general sense, climate change is our world heating up faster than it should. And it's because we humans have been putting all this carbon emission, this gas up into the atmosphere. And our carbon emission output has increased significantly since the Industrial Revolution. And all this emissions that are going up into the atmosphere is increasing what's called our greenhouse effect. And basically, all of this gas is getting built up in our atmosphere, and it's holding in a little bit more of the sun's solar radiation every year. And it's increasing our overall global temperatures. Now, this increase is actually impacting our weather systems around the world. And so we're seeing in some areas of the world, uh, more and more severe forest fires are occurring. They're burning for longer, more intensive time. On the opposite side, we're seeing more severe flooding occurring year after year after year. We're seeing our hurricanes becoming more frequent. Our tornadoes are becoming more frequent. Uh, We're also seeing a lot of our habitats starting to change and alter, like up in the Arctic that is currently melting because of this change in our global climate. Um, So this is a huge challenge that 
we are now deal- dealing with around the world. And it's not only an issue for us and our survival, but of course for the animals that we share our planet with and the birds. And as this continues to occur, a lot of those uh, essential habitats that our birds uh, rely on are going to be changing and many of our birds are going to become endangered and potentially disappear. Wow. So, yeah, That's very we- sad. That's very sad. <laughs> to, you know, I, I, um, yeah. I, like most people, we probably recoil when we, we hear that kind of statement. We don't want that to happen naturally no. because it, it's, it's so very, precious. It's a very challenging uh, time and it's hard to stay positive, but we have to stay positive because there is still hope. There are things that we can do to help. That we can help with, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can hear, though, that uh, we really do need to care. And uh, I hear that the birds that live within the natural world around us or within the urban world <laughs> around us um, will need our care. So why don't you share a little bit about... Um, the importance of birds, you're, you're, you're a bird specialist, so the importance of birds in our ecosystem. How can you, what would you say to that? Uh, yeah, birds play a very vital uh, role in many of our ecosystems around the world. Um, they provide a lot of nutrients to the soil through their fecal matter, as well as they provide many different uh, services to that environment. Um, snow geese, for example, will fly back and forth up to the Arctic and back down into the southern states every year, grazing the vegetation as they go, and that helps for new plant diversity to reseed the area and spread diversity. As well as turkey vultures, a bird that many people despise because they're not the prettiest things at. <laughs> <laughs> they got a very red, bald head, and they're all covered in black feathers, and they look really om- ominous. Uh, but these vultures are scavengers, and they eat the decomposing decomposing bo- uh, bodies or carrion of animals that have died, often from diseases, illnesses, pathogens. And the turkey vulture's stomach is so strong, and the acidic air, its stomach acid is so strong mm-hmm. that it can actually eat these animals that have died from all these different diseases and not get sick themselves. So wow. they're helping to keep our ecosystem strong and healthy and alive and stop the spreading of diseases. So they're, they're the big. cleanup crew. They are. They're really awesome creatures, and they should really get uh, better represented in our culture. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I can hear that um, everybody has a place is what you're saying, right? Like every bird has a distinctiveness and it all serves our ecosystem in some way in the 100%. big picture of it. How about, um, how do birds actually, like you mentioned a little bit about, you know, they drop fecal matter and stuff, but how do they care for our ecosystem? Yeah, well, um, as I said, the Vultures help to keep our ecosystem clean and stop the spreading of diseases. Um, Some of our fruitivores, um, the birds that are eating all of those delicious fruits, like cedar waxwings, actually help to uh, disperse those seeds of the fruits they're eating across the landscape. So they're spreading the diversity of our plants within an ecosystem. Um, Other animals like our raptors, our birds of prey, like hawks and owls, help to keep our rodent populations in check which is also beneficial for us in an urban setting. So we have less rodents entering our homes, uh, but also just in the natural world to keep the balance. And some birds even act as what we call keystone species. So something like a yellow belly sapsucker, it's like a woodpecker, or it is a woodpecker, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, their presence in a forest drastically impacts the diversity that can be found in that area. 
because as they're drilling holes in the trees for either foraging for their insects or finding their nesting cavities, that's providing homes for other animals to use, whether it's another cavity nesting bird like a chickadee or a nuthatch or maybe a flying squirrel. And as well as eating all of those uh, insects, it's also helping to keep insect populations down. Um, those trees will eventually fall over and then decompose, so it helps to keep our soils nice and healthy. And without the presence of our yellow belly sapsuckers in many of our forests, the diversity found there would greatly decrease. Wow. So, yeah. So you're telling us that these birds have a huge impact on our, on the way that the ecosystem um, maintains itself. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the balance of an ecosystem? Uh, yeah. Yes. An ecosystem that is uh, in balance is thriving and healthy. There's lots of different organisms present. Uh, but when an ecosystem is not in balance, then we're going to see negative impacts across all of the plants and animals found there. Um, a really good example of that nowadays is looking at our aquatic, our wetland ecosystems. Because our wetlands are disappearing at an alarming rate uh, here in North America and most likely around the world as we humans continue to grow and develop. And what remaining wetlands are available are often now filled with chemicals from rainwater runoff from our roads, our agricultural fields, Mm -hmm. and even grazing land. Mm -hmm. And specifically, a big problem that we're seeing in our wetlands um, right now is something called neonicotinoids which is a pesticide um, that is currently used by farmers. It is legal. And what's happening is is they're spraying this pesticide on their crops to kill all the insects so mm-hmm. that they can get a good harvest for us humans to eat. Yeah. But what happens is our rain comes by, washes this pesticide off of the field, and it then flows into our wetlands where it starts killing all of the aquatic invertebrates, so all of the water bugs. And a lot of those aquatic vertebrates are really essential food sources for a lot of aerial insectivores, um, which is a type of bird. Our Why don't you tell us a bit about those? In- what is an aerial insectivore? <laughs> yeah, aerial insectivores are all of our birds that are flying around on the wing, eating all those flying insects. So whether they're dragonflies, mosquitoes, mayflies, uh, this includes a lot of our swallow family, our martins. And unfortunately, because of this neonicotinoid pesticide, a lot of those aerial insectivore populations are starting to decline. They're starting to crash. And specifically, a bird called a purple martin that's found here in North America. In the last 20 years, their populations have decreased by 80 to 90 percent. Their population is just plummeting right now. Wow. And it's most likely due, there's still more and more research coming out, but the research that is coming out is proving that um, neonicotinoids, this pesticide, is most likely the cause because it's killing off their food resources and there's not enough food available for them to survive. Well, this is very sad news. So is there any action or support that can be taken to help us um, correct some of this? Definitely. Uh, Definitely, whenever we're in the stores looking at plants, don't buy any plants that are treated with neonicotinoids. Okay. As well, 
don't use neonicotinoids if you see that in one of your chemicals that you're looking to use on your garden. Uh, tell other people about the problem as well. What's at least beneficial is all this research is coming out. Uh, the Canadian government is starting to reevaluate their use of neonicotinoids, and hopefully we might be able to ban them. Um, there is hope for this, for this to stop occurring and for us to try and make a comeback for our purple martins because this has happened before. Before in the past with a different pesticide that many people might be familiar with, uh, something called DDT and the decline of our peregrine falcons. Uh, long story short, DDT was impacting our ecosystems negatively. Our peregrine falcon, po- peregrine falcon population declined. We banned the use of DDT and through a breeding program, the peregrine falcon has uh, come back and is no longer endangered. So there's still time for us to save our purple martins and other aerial insectivores. So we're still working on on awareness and, and, and education a lot is what you're saying too, is that we... We have to be more uh, aware. Uh, like a lot of us wouldn't even know much about this. You'd have to be in the field itself to be able to uh, see what's going on. And hopefully, uh, with awareness and even with this talk, people pay a little bit more close attention. Uh, what we hope, I guess, is that we can support in some way and know how to care for the populations you're talking about. Can you tell us a bit about what what birds really do well? Ah, yes. Birds that do really well are those that are able to adapt to a continuously changing environment. Um, So those that are very intelligent birds, like our corvids, our ravids and crows, are very well at adapting to change, as well as birds that provide, or not sorry, birds that uh, eat a diverse of there's a diverse amount of different foods. Um, so like our great blue herons, a lot of our water birds, they're not just eating fish, they're eating the fish, they're eating the frogs. Some of them will even eat some snakes or mammals that are found on land. So if the birds are able to eat a different variety of foods, that increases their chances of surviving. Right. So those who are able to also get food, as you're saying too. Uh, what about when we're talking about birds? Uh, how do we, like, I know that a lot of people don't have, uh, like the, they're not birders, they're not, they don't have the understanding or the relationship that takes a bit of time for somebody who's just doesn't know much, doesn't know anything. How do we, how do you know that birds are okay? Like what's, how would you define that just to, as a start off? Um, you would have to honestly trust the research that's being put out by biologists. Uh, even if you're not a birder and don't really have that much information, it's easy enough to Google and find some information online. Make sure you're reading from reliable sources. Um, bird observatories, for example, are a great source of information as they've been monitoring those bird populations for decades. And so they have a long-term data set to look at to pull results from. So you know, making sure we're trusting what our researchers are saying, um, making sure that you're being well informed, take the time, read up online. There's amazing resources available so that you can learn how our birds are doing. Um, if you want to take action on your own individual basis, uh, there's something called eBird, which is a website and as well as an app. And it's a way if you want to get into birding is to start tracking all the birds you're seeing and where you're seeing them. And this way you can keep track of your own birds that you're seeing throughout uh, your travels 
but also that information gets added into a global data set that researchers can pull from to do some more analysis. So trusting eBirds a really good source, trusting observatories, universities, um, well-accredited association and organizations is a good way to start learning about birds. That's really fantastic that we have um, a way to engage that's that's evolved. You know, it used to be that there was only the uh, perhaps the drawings you'd get in a in a in a volume or in a dictionary of sorts that you know defines the bird population around us. To have something that's so evolved like eBird, uh, I'm sure that that helps people come come to the bird world and and get to know it a little bit. How do you um, look at the bird population? Uh, in stewardship that's not just in the natural world. Let's talk a little bit about the urban world. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, In the urban world, we actually have many birds that share our habitat, our environment. Um, Whether you're living in a large city with skyscrapers and busy streets, you can still find gulls there, sparrows, birds of prey like our peregrine falcon. In the suburbs where you have Lots of people living, but a little bit more of a natural setting because there's a couple trees planted, usually in people's backyards or some shrubs. You can get a lot of your sparrows and your warblers and your chickadees. Uh, But just because you're not living in the middle of the forest doesn't mean you can't see birds sharing your environment. Uh, Birds are very good at adapting to many different areas. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that's a big piece that we... Those, those people who live in the city and who don't have contact with the natural world, it's like we forget, right? We, they're not in contact. We don't get that sense. But you're telling us that uh, there is a lot of a uh, lot, lot we can do that would impact the bird world. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about, uh, like, because we can't see them, what are the things that we can do around us that might help us? Uh, just through that and take care? Um, Well, becoming more conscious of how our day-to-day actions are impacting the natural world. For example, uh, many people, myself included, really enjoy drinking coffee. And they go to Starbucks to buy their coffee cup, drink it, and toss it away when they're done. But do we ever really think about where that material came from, whether it's the paper that was used in the cup, that came from a tree. When we throw it out, that cup has a plastic lining, so it's not biodegradable. So instead of always getting takeaway, why not use a travel mug? And as well, instead of always picking the coffee that's maybe at the lowest price point, or maybe from the country that you really like your coffee beans grown from, consider buying shade-grown coffee. And shade-grown coffee is coffee that is grown underneath the canopy of a forest. Because many of our coffee plantations nowadays around the world are what we call monocultures. They just clear the land to grow all the coffee beans and birds are losing their habitat. So by buying shade-grown coffee instead, the birds are able to live in the trees above the coffee. They're able to do their lives while the farmers are able to harvest those coffee beans in an environmentally friendly way. So that way, your daily coffee is not going to be destroying habitat for our birds. So just becoming more conscious of how our 
day-to-day actions, just think about when you're buying something, where did that come from and what might be the impact on our world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We only have a couple of minutes left uh, before our break. Uh, we're going to take a break in a few minutes, as you know, and talk about some other things about more specifically about birds. Maybe we can just finish off with uh, letting our listeners know uh, some of the things that we can do to help out uh, just naturally uh, without considering so much um, whether we know about birds <laughs> or who they are or the identification of birds. We know that that's a bird and that's about it. But what are the things we can do to help the bird population? Uh Two big things we can do is help to reduce our impacts on climate change. So trying to be more energy conscious, turning off a light switch when you leave a room, uh, trying to drive less, as well as biking more, stop using one-time use plastics. That would greatly reduce your impacts on our climate change issue, which we already talked about, as well as if you own a cat or you know someone who owns a cat, please, please, please consider to make that an indoor cat. Be a responsible pet owner by keeping your cat inside. It's not only safe for your cat, but you're also saving millions of birds' lives. Because every year it is estimated that here in Canada, our birds are killing between 150 to 300 million birds every You mean the cats are killing the birds, not the birds? (laughs) No, sorry, did I say that backwards? (laughs) But our cats are killing our birds. They are effective hunters. They love the thrill of the hunt, even if they're not hungry. Uh They're well fed. (laughs) Yes, they are very well fed. Uh, So by keeping your cats inside and making sure you're spaying and neutering your cats so you're not getting unwanted kittens, that will greatly help keep our birds safe as well as keeping your kitty cat safe. Thank you. And so before we go on break, maybe you can tell our listeners uh, how can they get a hold of you or um, get to know more about um, the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory? Uh, definitely visit our website. It's beaverhillbirds.com or .ca and take a read through. We have so many different programs happening. We love having volunteers. We have opportunity for university and uh, students to get experience in the field. Um, There's lots of information on there, so please give it a look on the website. Thank you. So this is Denise from Five Blossom Radio. Uh, Five Blossom uh, gatherings uh, is a service uh, in many ways, but we support a climate of care. And should you have any questions for me, you can contact me at Denise at five blossom gatherings at dot com or five blossom gatherings at gmail dot com. So uh, we'll be back in a few minutes uh, and we'll be talking with Sarah about more specific things about birds. a better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed five blossom gatherings is the website and program from denise richard by visiting fiveblossomgatherings.com you'll find out more about denise's professional tai chi and qigong services explore her website and view works of art and much more You can book healing and counseling sessions with Denise. She works with clients who have health interests and concerns. Her programs include knowing your whole body, self-care for your health, and inspiring wholeness. Visit 5BlossomGatherings.com today. Build your better business. 
achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to 5 Blossom Radio. Connect with the program today by calling in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to 5blossomgatherings at gmail.com. Now, back to 5 Blossom Radio. Welcome back to 5 Blossom Radio. This is Denise Richard speaking to you. And we're speaking here today with Sarah P. Pierce Meyerink, bird biologist from Beaver Hill Bird Observatory. So, Sarah, I'm uh, really excited about what we're talking about. People love birds. They're delicate. They're powerful. They're they're strange. They're 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 always exciting. Uh, it's important. It's an important topic for us because without them, the world wouldn't be able to be the same. Many many people love them. Uh, we don't have much understanding. Uh, of how to care for them as this as the climate change happens, and you've given us some some lovely ideas. You've highlighted that climate change is uh, happening and it is affecting our bird populations in very distinct ways. And I would love you uh, love for you to help us make uh, a little bit more of a step forward and uh, speak to our listeners today uh, and uh, see what. Uh, you know what we what support we can bring to the the wildlife, and uh, what are the common concerns when we're looking at this issue? So, please uh, come back and tell us a little bit about how uh, those who want to learn about birds uh, and bird observation. Um, maybe you can start with talking about that a little bit. Uh, definitely. Uh, anyone who wants to learn about birds, it can easily become a birder. Uh, birders in general are just people who observe birds and love to watch them and appreciate them. Birders tend to be very friendly, happy people. They're excited to include new people so you don't have to be intimidated. And to start being a birder, all you have to do is pick up an ID book, an ID guide and for your region. And you can even download, if you want, apps onto your phone and just go outside. Start looking at birds, trying to figure out what they are. Um, You can go join a natural club. There you'll find a lot of birders that can help guide you through your ways. And don't be intimidated by being a beginner. Everyone has to start that way. Mm -hmm. And just share the passion of being outside with other people and enjoy watching some of our feathery friends that we share our world with. Now, we were talking in the first half a little bit about the power of, of um, the work that you do and about climate change, and um, it's, it's such a big topic. Can you just maybe do a little recap and talk a little bit about care and protection? Definitely. As, as we humans continue to thrive on this earth, it is often at the detriment of the natural world. We continue to grow and expand, and in doing so, we're shrinking a lot of our wildlife habitat. And since we humans are one of the, or these species that has the most power on this planet, if you'd allow me to quote uh, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's our responsibility to try and protect 
and take care of and care for those natural environments, our wildlife, our birds that we share this planet with. Because if we don't, no one will. And they have a right to live on this earth just as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have a tendency to think that because we're we're we operate differently that uh, we don't often include them, do we? Let's talk a little bit about um, history. Historically, uh, birds have been able to remain with us, meaning that even through all the thousands of thousands of years that the Earth has, you know, been moving through different kinds of climate. Uh, certain birds are able to weather all that. Can you talk a bit about that? Um, A lot of our birds that are able to survive on this planet for an extended period of time have been able to do so because they've been able to adapt and change. If they can eat a variety of different food resources, um, that will allow them to live on this planet for a much longer time. Um, and so there's birds have continued to change and evolve and adapt over the course of time. They've been on this planet longer than we have. Uh, so we should really be respecting them and taking care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that too. Um, my reason for choosing to speak to you today is, is also because I have a, a great fondness for birds. I have a very special relationship to birds. In my work, um, the... Uh, working in an indigenous way or working in a in a, a way that is of old of an ancient system often uh, comes from a very ancient way of looking at the earth and I have a very special relationship with the heron with the crane bird and uh, I know that other uh, cultures also would designate certain, let's say, whether it be a healing systems or, or uh, a spiritual uh, system uh, that would kind of observe certain kinds of birds and the quality that these birds uh, provide in helping us maintain, uh, let's say, a certain groundedness or a certain way of of relating to the world around us so certain birds are quieter certain birds are are more wrathful and that they would use the uh, the understanding or the knowledge that these birds uh, provide in order to uh, help themselves or help the community or help the the tribe be able to uh, manage the wild world around them. They, in other words, they, they would mimic those birds in order to be able to protect themselves in some ways as as, as a way of, of care. So I, I'm sharing that with you because I am very, very much in love with birds and um, as an elder and I I was wondering, do you have a favorite bird? Like, do you have a bird that you go like, oh, I really love this bird for some reason? Oh, definitely. Uh, that would have to be our northern sawwet owls. Tell me uh-huh. about it. <laughs> they are pop can sized birds, I like to say. A very small little owl with bright yellow eyes, brown and white streaking all over its body. Uh, <laughs> very cute, lives inside a tree cavity, so a hole in the tree. Um, they love to eat rodents. Being an owl, they're well adapted little hunters with silent feathers, uh, really cool feet that can move their toes around depending on their use and needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're migratory, but there's still also so much for us to learn about this bird because we've only been researching them for a couple of years. And so I like the mystery as well behind them in that we're still learning more and more about this cute little fuzzy owl. So it sounds like a little peekaboo owl. 
<laughs> Very <No>. much so. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny little thing. Now I have I I have all kinds of questions for you here. I'm just going to take it one at a time and see if we can um, enjoy ourselves a little with these questions. I like to think about people who, uh, given that this is just a general uh, view and that we want to introduce the idea of caring for the birds, uh, also including those who really don't have a relationship to it all and including them, I'd like to ask the first question of um, urban people often have less relationship uh, to the bird population and some even fear them because they're strange creatures. Yeah. Uh, how do you support or how does um, the bird observatory support the care of birds in an urban environment? Definitely. We uh, try and educate all those who visit our center as well as in the wintertime. We have an education outreach program where we go into the cities to teach students about birds and conservation. So whether it's going into the classroom to teach kids about birds so they can overcome maybe their fears or lack of knowledge. We also go to events to teach just the general public that are walking by about the how cool and amazing birds are and how helpful they are to our ecosystems. And we try and encourage everyone to be more bird friendly, whether it's making your windows visible, making sure you keep your cat inside, um, putting up bird feeders on migration season when our birds are passing through. Um, just trying to help people learn how can they help protect our little feather friends who might be passing through their urban environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if we then flip it to those who are really a little bit more engaged or those birders as we talk um, who do want to support and do look to support the bird population, what are the initiatives, what are the incentives? Um, it's a painful thing that the bird population's are dwindling. What are your thoughts there? Um, for try for those who are already interested in birds, um, definitely trying again, making sure all your actions are bird friendly, with making your windows visible and cats indoors, um, as well as unfortunately for bird populations that are declining, maybe encouraging others in your community to try and be bird friendly because together, if we can all start being more consciously aware of how we're impacting our birds, whether it's through our cats being inside, making sure we're closing our blinds at night and turning off our lights so that our birds aren't striking our windows is a really great thing, especially during migration season. There is millions of fatalities every year from our birds striking windows at night. Um, but just trying to spread the word of how we can help protect our birds is a really great thing. Okay, I have a couple of questions here. One is, I'm going to, I love the, the idea of bird migration. I don't know much about it. And I'd love to explore that a little bit so people can understand how it's a bigger picture than we think. They don't just live in one little territory necessarily. They live around the world and they work the world for us in a certain way. (laughs) So um, let's start with that. So I was told long ago that bird migration is really important. Uh, You know, when I was in uh, school and and learning biology. And uh, can you tell us uh, why that is? And, and what's happening uh, around that that you know? Yeah, you know bird, bird migration uh, occurs around the world. It is critically important as it's providing these birds that are flying through on migration, not only are helping to spread the diversity of 
the areas they pass through with their fecal droppings, um, but also impacting the ecosystems that they're living in when they fly north uh, for the breeding season. Um, As I said, I think in the first half of our podcast, some of those birds are what we call keystone species, and their presence in the forest provides amazing diversity for other animals to thrive in. So whether it's creating cavities for other animals to live in, as well as decomposing logs uh, for maybe our rodents or our decomposers and our plant life to thrive in. Um, A lot of our birds, by flying back and forth, help to spread diversity and health of our ecosystems around the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So these birds that fly, some of them you say are like actually essential birds. Definitely. They they have a really, really big impact on on the ecosystem and they help provide the environment for other creatures. Um, What birds do you know of that like to migrate to cities? We know that I haven't thought of that much. Can you help us with that? Definitely. Uh, Some of the birds that will migrate into our cities, uh, depending on where you live, would obviously be uh, your corvids, your crows. Some of them are migratory, as well as uh, if there is a park in your city, you'll get a lot of warblers, which are little birds that like to eat mosquitoes um, or insects, as well as some birds called orioles. They're part of the blackbird family. They can be quite pretty and beautiful. They live at the tops of the trees, weaving baskets. Um, A very Mm -hmm. common species that uh, many people see in an urban setting, even in our cities, are our American robins. They're very well adapted to nesting on top of our houses, in our eaves troughs, um, on our furniture, in the patio, and even uh, larger birds such as peregrine falcons and great horned owls can often be found in our cities because the peregrine falcons will actually nest on top of a skyscraper and they will hunt all the pigeons that are flying around. And our great horned owls will nest in the trees in your backyard and they'll eat all the rabbits that are hopping around, uh, maybe causing a pest to your garden. But they're very well adapted to living in many different environments, including urban. So they're actually really important. Oh, definitely. They have a huge impact. That's really so. Uh, the bird mi- migration is really important in that sense too. I was told that the bird migration doesn't happen just once. It ha- the, there's a kind of a rhythm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the springtime, when all of our snow is starting to melt, that's when spring migration occurs. So a lot of our birds will actually start flying up from the south, whether it's in the southern U.S., Central America, South America. They'll start flying north to finding uh, to find better breeding grounds. And by making this very energy-expensive journey, they're able to find an area where there's less competition, so there's less challenges of finding a good spot, there's more food availability, and they're more likely to successfully uh, have their young that year and be have a successful breeding season. So it is very rewarding for them to make this very energy fi- uh, expending journey. And then in the winter time, when you know snow is coming, all of our birds are going to start to fly south again. So they'll do their fall migration and they'll fly down south to where there is still food available. The weather's favorable and there's lots more insects. And even though there might be more competition down there, they don't have to worry about it as much because they're no longer reproducing. They're not having their young at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the main reasons why our birds are flying back and forth twice a year 
uh, to migrate is trying to find the best suitable habitat or area to have their young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can imagine that you're talking about something that's quite delicate too. If we're having that much change in the climate uh process that we're going through is is kind of dangerous with all the fires then that's going to affect the bigger picture globally oh it's definitely uh, been pushing uh, some of our birds around a lot not only just the fire but all the smoke that's being produced with those fires is altering how they're flying uh through the landscape and the use of the landscape as well yeah yeah again this feeling of oh my how how scary is that for them Mm -hmm. um let's let's move it around a bit um when we t- talk about all that, I also think about how how the documentation of of all this, how it all started, how how it starts, and I think about birds, and I think about the drawing of birds, the artistic part <laughs> of of it, and how uh, how sensitive that is. Can you talk a little bit about the scientific history around birds? Uh, definitely, specifically with the art aspect and drawing of them, uh, drawing of birds was historically one of the best ways to share your knowledge and finding um, of birds with others. Before we had photography, drawing a bird was the best way of capturing its essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also one of the best ways of demonstrating the different shapes and sizes of the birds. Uh, one of the most famous uh, scientific drawings to consider is the drawing of Charles Darwin's finches because uh, mm. Charles Darwin went to the Galapagos back in the 1800s. He collected many bird specimens, which back then was unfortunately shooting them and stuffing them, but that's mm-hmm. how it was done in the day. And he took these birds back with him to Europe and studied them for the rest of his life. Mm. And through his studies and observations of these birds, He came to the theories of natural selection, evolution, adaptive radiation, all these scientific findings. And to share this information with others, um, he used drawings of the finches that he collected to share his information and knowledge with the rest of the scientific and global community. Mm -hmm. And so drawing these birds was the best way to depict them, not only for the time, but even nowadays, I often prefer having a drawing of a bird in a field book instead Mm -hmm. of a photo of a bird because the drawing provides more of the essence of the bird. It can often show you the the variations in colorings where Mm -hmm. if you see a photo of a bird, you think that is the only possible photo or coloring available for that bird species. When hmm. many bird species coloring can alter slightly or actually have different color morphs entirely depending on the individual. Oh, that's interesting. And I also think because I have a, an arts background and I love to draw birds, the the impact on that on human beings, it cr- helps create a relationship. Definitely. When you're sitting there, you're observing a bird and you try and draw it or even imagine a bird and you're drawing it. There's a there's a there's a relating that's going on. And it's a there's a sensitive uh, part there because it's usually done in silence. It's like that's how birds live. I mean, they have Mm -hmm. their little tweet. Yes, but they're 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 silent creatures. So there's a way of uh, relating on a more sensitive level. I love it. Very nice. What what if you do you have here's a fun one. Do you have a favorite bird story? Like something that happened that's just too good? Oh, oh, give me a minute to think about that. Okay. Favorite bird story. Um, 
Here, I'll tell you one, and yeah, this will spawn your. I'll tell you one. Okay, <laughs> so this is this happens in the city. This happens in the, and I've shared this once with my with my listeners where, I uh, I was having one of those bad hair days. I was you know having one of those. Oh, it was a droopy day, and mm-hmm. I walked into a park, a common park in uh, in the, in the Lower Mainland, and uh, it's a, just a general you know activity it's it's very quiet it's a cool quiet morning bright sunny day uh and i stand into the center of the field now it's a fairly large field um and surrounded by trees it's not it's not dense but it's surrounded by trees and i'm just sitting there feeling the sun on my face it's early morning and all of a sudden i look up and there is a swallow that comes towards me and I smile, and then the swallow moves around me gently, you know, maybe a, maybe 10 or 15 feet away in diameter. And then slowly, another one, and another one, and another one. And after about maybe three or four minutes, I had at least a dozen, maybe 20 swallows swirling all around me oh, wow. in, in a formation. Now... You can imagine that I was kind of going, now this I could never have imagined because, I mean, I don't, I didn't know what was, I didn't know it could happen. Mm-hmm. But the experience of having those delicate and very strong little birds are so swift and they're so light and pleasurable. I left that park with a big smile on my face. <laughs> it was such a strong experience of living in an urban environment and having such a strong impact by the natural world. And these are the things that have, you know, that change your world. When you have that kind of gentle, playful generosity, uh, like the wildlife is speaking to you. Do you have anything like that that you, that, that sparks for you? or? Uh, for me, um, just thinking on it, it would have to be not so much me interacting with the birds, but or more so observing birds in their natural environment. And this summer, I went uh, kayaking with my brother on this little lake. Um, we just found it on a map, drove to it uh, just to go on a little adventure. And as we're kayaking down this lake, I can see there's a big cliff ledge and there's a little shelf in the ledge where I see all this whitewash, this bird poo. I'm like, hmm, that might be a good spot for peregrine falcons to nest. And about 20 minutes later, out of nowhere comes this beautiful bald eagle, a young one, maybe about two or three years old because of the coloring. Mm -hmm. And it came soaring over the lake in front of us. And then out of nowhere, here comes two peregrine falcons. Oh, wow. And they come down, and they're dive-bombing this thing because it's in its territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, really neat to see that interaction of our wild birds. And they chased off this eagle who was just passing through, doing his own business. And um, they flew off. And then later on in the day, we saw that same pair um, trying to hunt a gull that was flying through. So that was just really magical to see how 
quickly they can stoop and hunt and how maneuverable they were in the air and to see that unexpectedly before your eyes almost right above me Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. was pretty special (laughs) you're also saying that it's actually a bit of it's a privilege isn't it when you get those moments where they expose themselves where they bring themselves close to you because there's no coincidence I never feel that there's a coincidence with birds they want to be there or they don't want to be there because if they don't they're gone like they, they really don't appear so we only have a few minutes and I'm really enjoying my time here uh, with you. Could you tell us again, um, we're talking about um, some very important things. How do people get to connect with you and tell us a little bit about maybe are there events coming up soon that you might want to tell us about at the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory? Um. At the BBO, our next event will be our Steaks and Sawwit Supper that I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, where we invite the public out for a big steak dinner. There's activities for kids. It's a big, fun event, and they stay up with us into the night uh, to watch our owl banding, where we're catching our northern Sawwit owls. If you're really lucky, maybe a long-eared owl. Um, It's a great opportunity to see uh, wild birds of prey in the hand up close. But we're always welcome to having the public out. And if you are a teacher or you have kids that are in school and you'd like a live owl to come into the classroom, let us uh, know. And we do educational presentations as well. Oh, how wonderful, wonderful. So uh, I find this very appealing and I'm thanking you. Um, Five Blossom Radio is really um new to the to the listeners it's only a few months old and uh we're learning about the current situation and ways that we can care and about your observatory um and you can contact uh five blossom radio uh we're support we're we're committed (laughs) and to supporting stewardship in a climate of change and creating a climate of care as a result we welcome your thoughts. Uh, we can also offer care in how to manage the challenges in a personal health management way. So we offer programs in personal and professional training. And uh, you can contact me, Denise, at uh, fiveblossomgatherings at gmail.com. So, Sarah, uh, you have maybe you know a few seconds. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, love the birds go out enjoy them appreciate their value and they belong on this earth just as much as we do so let's take care of them thank you i appreciate that too thank you for having me today you're very very welcome thank you for joining us this week for five blossom radio with denise richard please tune into our next program We're live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, may you have a harmonious week.